Man, you minister to me. Uh, and I will tell you, there are times I need ministering to. Uh, you know, sometimes you come to worship and you're worshiping God and you think it's all about you. And you all of a sudden you realize God used you to the person behind you or in front of you. And uh, I just want to thank you for how you touched me and as God blessed you in your worship for that. Uh, we're going to hand out Bibles now, uh, True Words. We're going to do the same in the, in the sanctuary. There's some right there in front of you uh, in the pews if you need them. You will need the scriptures in your hands uh, this morning. It'll be a while before we get there. We're going to get to Lamentations, where we're going to start in a few moments. And I think you will benefit this morning from having the Bible in your hands. We're not going to have time to turn to everything I have. You'll notice there are lots of Bible verses, and I have too much material. Uh, I'm going to work hard. You're going to have to join me, so I'm going to dive right in. I'm going to lay a theological foundation for this new series we're starting today called The Total Package. I, I usually don't do this, but I'm going to take just about 10 minutes here to set up everything for the next six weeks. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1. God, Elohim, who spoke of himself in plurality. That's important. He said, let us, let us create humans in our own image. Us, our own image. So this triune God creates a single human being with a tripod being, as a tripod being. Here's how it goes in your notes. A healthy body plus a healthy soul plus a healthy spirit equals, comes up to the total package. If you ignore one part of yourself, you're in trouble. If you build up your spirit, but you neglect your body, you may be powerful in grace, powerful in anointing, this is powerful person of God, but you have no strength to deliver the goods. If you build up your body, but neglect your spirit, you might be ripped, you might be strong as an ox, you might have endurance, but like an empty wagon, there's no content in the container. You have a delivery system, you just have nothing to deliver. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. You're a spirit. God is spirit. The Bible says we worship God in spirit and in truth. You need worship. Worship is your spirit reaching out to God's spirit, where God's spirit reaches out and touches your spirit. Your spirit is the part of you that never dies. Your spirit is the part of you that doesn't have to age. I've told you many times, getting old is a choice, right? Getting old is a choice. Aging is a fact of life. On Sunday nights, I'll do it again this evening, Dallas and I will go down to visit with my mom and dad. 
My dad is 89 years of age. If you were ever to come into our house and sit down and visit my dad, he'd be the first one to tell you his body is aging. It is. But his spirit is still young. His spirit is still this young. Sometime young adults, young people, you look at uh, older people, senior citizens, people whose bodies are kind of, you kind of look at them as if they're some species from another planet. Like they're another being, like you don't know how to talk to them or hang out or be around them. What you need to know is that, that in that old woman, there is a little girl. She can still shake it. She can still break it. She can still bring it. She can still swing it. She can still drop it. She can't pick it up. <laughs> you know, but everything else, she can. I believe it. And you, because you see, listen, the house that you live in, your body, it's going to cave in, but the resident doesn't have to. Stay with me. Aging, this body. Sometimes our granddaughter will spend the night with us, and when she spends the night with us, she wakes up in the morning, even though she can walk really steady, she'll kind of shuffle her feet and kind of come in there to us, rubbing her eyes, no papa, dee dee, kind of, just kind of shuffling. When I look at my granddaughter, I think about my granny Brown when she was in her 90s, when her body was caving in. And dementia was beginning to set in. And when I would go see my Granny Brown, she would walk just like this. Have you noticed when small children get around older people, they seem to have this familiarity with each other? Because you see, in my granddaughter, I see my granny. And in my granny, I can see my granddaughter. Because you have two childhoods. Your first one, and you return to one at the end of your life, another childhood. And what happens between your two childhoods determines whether or not you become the total package. And what you do with your soul, your mind, and your body. In my body... I have world consciousness. In my body, I can tell you if it's hot or if it's cold, if it's too bright or it's too dark. In my body, it lets me know what's going on in the world. In my spirit, I have God consciousness. In my body, I have world consciousness, a dead person. I've never heard a dead person complain about the weather, ever. You touch a dead person, they don't respond. Why? They've lost world consciousness, but they've not lost consciousness. Because in my spirit, I have God consciousness. 
That's why the Bible says deep reaches out to deep. The depth of my spirit in worship reaches out to the spirit of God, hoping and praying the spirit of God will touch my spirit. And when that happens, strongholds are broken, chains are set free, yokes are lifted, scales are removed, and you can see what was before your eyes all along. When deep runs to deep and spirit touches spirit, In my spirit, I have God consciousness. In my body, I have world consciousness. But neither one of those are the problem. That's not really the real problem. In my soul, in my, in the Greek, in the Bible, the Greek, in my psyche, in my psychology, in my mind, I have self-consciousness. It's because of my self-consciousness. When you hurt me, I react up against you. A rose bush. A rose bush has a body. A rose bush has a life. But if you cut the rose bush, it does not weep. You cut me, I weep. Because I have a soul, I am self-consciousness conscious. The reason some of you get all nervous and you get all stressed out and you get all anxious, you get all tied up and worn out in a knot, ah, ah, like all this, like this. You stand up before a bunch of people and you get nervous. It's because your self-consciousness is greater than your God-consciousness. If you would think more about his name and less about your name, you could be rid of some of your fears just like that. Some of you, because you have so many fears in your life and so anxious and so stressed out, because in your mind, you think too much about yourself. Your mind... Yourself, your mind has engulfed your spirit. If your spirit ever engulfs your mind, you can subdue and hold captive your mind. You can learn to master any situation if you can learn to master yourself, your mind, your thought life. You don't have to worry about getting a grip on her or getting a grip on those kids or getting a grip on your job or getting a grip on your boss or getting a grip on those employees. If you can get a grip on you, they're not the problem. You're the problem in your soul, in your psyche. In your mind, your soul, your psyche, or all your memories, all of them, all of them. The good, the bad, say it, and the ugly. And some of them are pretty ugly. In your mind, your psyche, your soul is your passion. The most powerful sex organ in your body is between your ears. All of your passion comes from your thought life. What happens up here? It's the beauty and the beast of it. 
All of your drive comes from what happens up in here. Succeed or fail, how this up here works. Your mind makes you the first computer that was ever created. God created you with a mind that can imagine that which is not real, that was no one has thought about or seen. Your mind is a hard drive. It is a database with loads and tons of information about different stuff flowing through the megabytes of your mind at a million per second. I mean, just so fast you can't even measure it through your head. And they're there going right now. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is no species on the earth like a human. You can think yourself up. You can think yourself down. You can think yourself happy. You can think yourself sad. You can think yourself in. You can think yourself out. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. And what you do with it, what you do with it, what you do with it depends on whether or not you become the total package. Now, this morning, the content going forward is a very serious subject. We're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about depression, what happens in this psyche, in the soul. And uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a specialist. I'm barely a pastor. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really a Bible scholar. We have some Bible scholars on staff, I will tell you. Uh, I'm not the Bible scholar. We got, we got some really smart Bible people on staff. I'm probably not one of them. Uh, my name is Rick. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Um, I'm, a, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. And I'm a papa. And I'm just trying to figure out how to be the best I can be. And I've discovered that following Jesus helps me in this life just to treat people better, to be married better, and to treat my kids better, and to love better. And so I just share with you. Just a little, so I, I'm not really a doctor or a scientist or a psychologist, so I can't do all that stuff. And because of that, we're going to set aside in the weekend after Mother's Day, we're going to have a panel up here of people who understand, who really understand this depression and this mental health and mental issue mental health issues, because it's serious stuff. And we're going to talk about it in very pragmatic, straightforward ways and biblical ways and learn some stuff. But we've got the experts up here. And um, I hope you'll be here for that and you'll spread the news with somebody. But this is an important subject. If you saw the Star Tele four Star Telegram, if you still take the news online or, or on the paper, the headline of the paper was about teen suicide out the rough. In our area, 10 to 18, ages 10 to 18, second killer among kids, suicide. One out of 12 high schoolers, they say, are going to attempt to take their life. One out of 12. This is serious stuff. Depression is real. We're going to put a number up on the screen. Some of you need to write it down. It's an emergency hotline for suicide. You're so depressed. It's a national line. Talk. Write it down. Use it yourself if you need it. 
What you're going through is real. It's not fake. It's real. But please listen. If there's anyone here that's so depressed, so low, and your psyche, your soul is so messed up that you're feeling like you want out, suicide is an irreversible, permanent attempt at a solution for a problem that is temporary. Emotions change. They crash in, they crash out. They crash in, they crash out. And so please do not act on what you're feeling right now. Get some help. Get some help. I believe God is the first place to turn for help. And so I'm going to open up God's word and I'm just going to do what little bit I can to kind of help the situation and give some guidance. And then we'll come back here with some real, real professionals to really try to help us a little bit in a group setting. Lamentations chapter 3. In the book of Lamentations, we have a whole book in the Bible devoted uh, to depression. Interesting. A whole book of the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah uh, was someone, great man of faith. Uh, he wasn't embarrassed to say, hey, you know what, I, I wrestle with this. We all do. Could I just say it? And we're not going to deal with the clinical, clinical aspect of it, with the chemical. We're going to deal with, with the lifestyle part of depression because the lifestyle that most of us live uh, opens the door to experience some form of depression. Well, here, here's one of the things that happens in someone who's doing this. Verse 17 of chapter 3, Lamentations. It says, I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. That's his problem. He's forgotten. When you get depressed, your psyche, your soul, you forget what prosperity, what life looks like. You just forget. So I say, hey, my splendor's gone. Uh, although I'd hope from the Lord, it's gone. Verse 19, I remember my affliction. I remember my wandering. I remember the bitterness and the gall, and that's his problem. In my Bible, I've got written out, he's ruminating. You know what ruminating is? That's a psychological term of someone who has a thought in their head and they repeat it over and over and over and over and they dwell on it. It's like a cow chewing its cud. I don't know if you're familiar with all these city folks in here about a cow chewing its cud. A cud is something a cow chews and chews and chews and swallows it and then it brings it back up again, regurgitates and chews it, chews it, chews it some more, swallows it, goes back up and regurgitates and chews and chews and chews it again. Sounds kind of sick, doesn't it? Go home for lunch and try that. <laughs> Go eat a little something and swallow it. Try to bring it back up, right? Chew on it again and swallow it. And you laugh, but that's what some of you do with your thoughts. You ruminate over and over, chew on it, chew on it, chew on it. You swallow it. The next thing you know, you're chewing on it again, chewing on it, chewing on it. And you're digging yourself into a hole. So much so, he says in the next verse, oh yeah, I remember them, verse 20, and my soul is downcast within me. Well, sure it is, Jeremiah. You're chewing your cud. Why aren't you depressed? Who wouldn't? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. One verse here. The Apostle Paul, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, I'm not embarrassed about it. It's not a secret. I'm not going to try to hide it. I'm not going to try to pretend. This is real. I don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced. In fact, we were under great pressure, so much pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so much pressure, I had no more strength. I was wiped out. I was burnt out. I'm finished. 
I'm empty. I got nothing left. I don't have enough to get through the day. I can't take another step. I can't lift another finger. I can't change another diaper. I can't change another clothes. I can't wash another load. I can't cook another meal. I'm done. I got nothing left. He goes on to say, so much so that we despaired of life itself. I want out. I just want to check out of life. You got the kids, I'm gone. I'm out of here. It's yours. How you can take this job, I can't handle any more pressure. It's all yours. I'm done. I'm finished. Bye. Out of here. Over in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, we see the same thing that we had here with the Apostle Paul in that one verse over here with a young man named Elijah. Elijah was this great prophet. And when you read in your life steps this week, and I encourage you to read your life steps this week, in chapter 18, he goes toe-to-toe with 450 prophets, and he has this great victory. I mean, he wipes them off the face of the planet. I mean, boom, just like that. Victory, victory, victory. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, he's at the lowest of lows. He wants to kill himself. At the highest of highs, verse 9, chapter 19, so low, he just wants to die. Elijah, you got to be kidding me, man. That can't be true. I mean, you, you just whipped the devil's hiney. You just dusted off his britches. You just called down fire from heaven on wood and a sacrifice that was soaked in water. And you brought down fire from heaven. You took care of a whole army all by yourself. You just outran a chariot. Go read the story. You just outran a chariot, and now you want to die? You're at the peak. You're at the zenith. You're at the top of your career, and now you want to die? You finally got into college, and now you want to die? You graduated from college? You got the degree, you got the master's, and now you want to quit? You finally got the job, you got the promotion, and now you say you're done? You finally got married? You finally made it to 20 years? You finally have that kid you want, and now you want to die? You finally got to retire, and now you want to die? You beat the cancer, and now... You can be at the top and all of a sudden feel like you're at the bottom. You know, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's where the Apostle Paul was. That's exactly where Elijah was. When you're climbing in your life, you start feeling pressure. Pressure is a fact of life, church. Pressure is just part of life. You start feeling pressure, 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 and you got this vision. You got a vision for your life. You got all this excitement. You got all this vision and pressure. I feel the pressure, but I got so much excitement, and I got a vision, and I got adrenaline. And then all of a sudden, right before you get to the top at a certain part of your journey, or you get to the top, the adrenaline recedes. And when the adrenaline recedes, the exhaustion is magnified. That's what happens. And you can be so tired. Just so tired. The Apostle Paul and Elijah 
They were depressed because their soul, their psyche was just so tired. You can be so tired that nothing feels good. No pleasure. No good sensations anywhere in your life. No happiness. No excitement. No enthusiasm. Your taste buds are dead. Nothing tastes good. Your passion is all dried up. That doesn't mean she or he's not spicy anymore. It doesn't mean that at all. That doesn't mean the situation's not good. The job's not good. Your kids aren't good. It just means you're tired. You're tired of fighting. You're tired of climbing uphill. You're tired of overcoming hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. You're tired. You're tired of nobody listening and really hearing. Oh, you're talking, but nobody's really hearing. And you're just tired. You don't have to be old to be tired. You just have to be somebody who's been standing up against the odds, even with all hell broke loose, trying to hold it together and to have a little victory in something. For some of you, I mean, just getting through elementary school in your family, it was a victory because your family was so crazy and dysfunctional, it was just a miracle that you got through elementary. And then to get through junior high, really, and you're still alive with all the stuff going on, that in itself is a victory and a miracle. You had to fight, fight, fight for your grades and fight to be uh, accounted for and fight to have friends and fight to be a part. Then you get to high school and you're really fighting. Because so many kids drop out and quit high school. Many do. And you fight and you fight and your family's crazy and there's dysfunction at home and all this other stuff among your friends and drama and bullying and and cliques and pressure and all this sort of stuff. But then you get through it. Nobody's been in your house going to college. I'm going to fight. I'm going to apply. I'm going to apply. You feel the pressure. I got to get into a college. I got to get into college. I, I got to get the scholarships. I got to get the funding. I got to get the finance. I got to get. And you feel all the pressure. And then you get in. And you get in. And you stick it through. And you feel the pressure of the test and the grades and all the responsibility and all the expectations. And you feel it. You feel it. And then finally, finally, you graduate. Let's say you do victory. And you can be at the peak of your physical prowess, your body at the most prime time of its development. But your mind can be so tired. Your body says go, and your mind says no. Depression. Fatigue of the soul of the mind. And that's exactly where Elijah was. In Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, he's so there, just so there, just so there, ready to quit, just so there. One woman put so much pressure on him. You say, Elijah, how? How could that happen to you? You're, you're so young. You're, please, please listen to this. 
some of you, when you got, you think, how could someone so young, young, have so much depression and so much stuff you want to quit and your body just shuts down? I'll tell you why. It's not the age, it's not the years, it's the mileage and the usage. Let me explain. When you go buy a car, if you're buying a used car, please do not do first question B, what year is that car? That means nothing. It's not how old the car is. It's the mileage on the engine. And it's how many miles are on the engine and how hard it's been driven. You can be young and have a lot of hard miles on the engine. And you can be so tired, so tired, your mind, that you say, I'm done, I'm out, because the pressure. And wherever there's pressure, there's restriction. Restriction. You have a pipe. And you have all these thousands of gallons of water flowing through this pipe. And I don't care how many gallons, as long as it's flowing and it's moving, the pipe won't pop. But once you restrict the pipe, the pressure is going to pop because of the restriction. And there's no restricted people like church people. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. I'll get you for that. I'll get you for that. You got to do 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 that. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Pop. One woman. You can get to a place in your life where one person can take you over the edge. One child, one little two-year-old, one little infant, one little employee, one boss, one person can take you over the edge where you pow. That's what happens right here. 19 verse 1, Ahab comes, tells Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. Elijah, Jezebel says, hey, I want you to bring Elijah to me. I want to talk to him about all these prophets of mine, of Baal he killed. And here's what she says, one sentence. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, um, Elijah, I do not make your life like that of one of those 450 that you killed. Now, men, I want you to notice this. He just whooped 450 prophets. But one woman, what happens next? Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. One woman had him run for his life. <laughs> if it's the right woman, <laughs> it only takes one. <laughs> she didn't touch him. She didn't hit him. She didn't cuss him. She threatened him. Please hear this. If you're living under any kind of threat, that threat can put more pressure on you. That's why in marriages, you don't make threats. Listen to me. If you don't, I'm going to. If you do, I'm going. Those threats put so much pressure. It's more damaging than a pop to the face or slap to the butt, whatever. That pressure. Threat. If you're living, hey, you'll never measure up. You're always, hey, your family, you know, I, I should have known you'd be like that way. That's how you were raised. Oh, you're going to be just like your dad, just like your mama, just like that, blah, blah. And you hang that over your head. That is more damaging and more pressure than any physical abuse ever will. The mental abuse and the psychological abuse, do not misunderstand. It is just as damaging, even more so, to the psyche. 
because it doesn't go away. It doesn't heal easily. Bruises can go away, but to the soul. The words you speak to each other, they matter. So much so, he runs away, goes out in the desert all by himself, verse 4, comes to a tree, sits down and says, you know what, God? He prays, I just want to die. I've had enough. That's some of your theme song. That's your verse. I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm out of here. I've had enough of this. I don't want any more. I've had enough of this job. I've had enough of these marriage. I've had enough of these kids. I've had enough of the pressure. I've had enough of the laundry. I've had enough of the, of the dishes. I've had enough. I've had enough of your lip. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. All right. Here we go. I'm going to point out quickly four things that I see that are the cause here in this scripture of depression, very practical, down-to-earth things that, that cause depression and cause a cycle. We see it in the scriptures. And then quickly here in a moment, you're going to read later on your life steps this week, the rest of this story in 1 Kings 19. And I'm going to show you some things out of this passage on overcoming depression. And we've got to work fast. Here we go. First one is faulty thinking, or I want to call it stinking thinking. That was the one thing that Elijah did. Elijah is thinking over and over and over again. Stinking thinking or faulty thinking is when you're lying to yourself and you're chewing your cud, repeating the same thing. Oh, what if that happens? 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 And you worry yourself about stuff that never happens. And you're doing it to yourself. as stinking, faulty thinking in your psyche, in your soul, your computer, and you're doing it to you. Instead of doing what it says in Philippians 4, 8, where Paul says, hey, listen, whatever is true, uh, whatever is noble, whatever is right, how about whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable? If it is excellent and if it is praiseworthy, what's the next word? What is it? What's the next word? I can't hear you. Think about that, not your stinking thinking. Not your faulty thinking. Next one. He isolated himself. He ran away into the desert to be all by himself. Oh, woe is me. And that's what so many of you do. The, wet, the worse you feel, the more you withdraw. And that's the worst thing you can do. You can be around people and still be lonely. You know why? You're the only one who knows your thoughts. If you're lonely in your thoughts, you're in trouble. If you're the only one who knows your thoughts, you're in trouble. If you're the only one who knows your secrets, you're in trouble. Everybody doesn't need to know your secrets, but somebody needs to know your secret, or you're setting yourself up for a fall. And that's why in this church we emphasize small groups. We don't have small groups around here to build the church up. We have small groups up to build you up. To keep you alive. They're not a luxury. They're a necessity to someone who wants to have healthy mind, a healthy soul, a healthy psyche, healthy thinking. Stinking thinking. So if you're not in a small group, man, please stop by. Stop by the next step and say, hey, listen, I just want to be part of a small group. I want to have some friends to do life with who know me, who know my stuff, who know my business and care about me and love me. Have coffee together. Talk about stuff. Get it out in the open. Don't hold it in. The more you hold it in, the more in trouble you are. 
You're setting yourself up for bad stuff. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says, one, one, one can be defeated. If you're by yourself, you'll be defeated. But two, you can overcome it. You got somebody else in your life. If you got three, huh, you're like a rope that can't be broken. I mean, it's not going to be broken. That's why I got people beside me, on both sides, in front and behind me. I have myself surrounded by people who ask me, hey, Rick, what's going on with you? How are you feeling? Uh, what, what, what's really, what, what are you thinking about? What are you, what are you worrying about? What are you doing? And I tell them. Because I know I have to. I keep going on. Trusting your feelings. Trusting feelings. He was acting on his feelings. And I tell you that your feelings will lie to you. If you're basing important decisions on feelings, you're going to get in trouble. Too many people get married based on feelings. Oh, 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 she's just so wonderful. Oh, she's just so lovely, Pastor. Oh, why are you married? Oh, you just got to meet her. You just got to meet her. She's so great. I mean, she just makes you feel so good all over. Uh, any married people, would you please agree with me that those feelings are not going to last? They're going away. They're great when you have them. Enjoy them. But I'm telling you, marriage is built on commitment. For better or for worse. In sickness and in health. Richer or poor. That's what you build your life on. Truth. And this book is God's truth. You build your life on this book. The truth, the Bible says, the truth will set you free. Not on your feelings. Oh, he hurt my feelings. Okay. <laughs> Get over it. What does this book say? That wasn't very nice for me to say that, was it? <laughs> Comparison game is letter D. Comparison game. He compares himself. Hey, I'm no better than my ancestors. Uh, this is the pit of social media hell. Well, you compare your miserable little life to the highlight reels of everybody else. Oh, oh, they got a brand new kitchen. My kitchen stinks. <laughs> oh, they got a brand new house. Oh, their house. Oh, I'll never have a house like that. I can never afford to have that. Oh, my kids. Oh, look what their kids. Oh, my kids, they'll never do anything like that. Oh, my God. They'll, they'll never be tested. Oh, isn't that great? Blah, 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 blah. And you go and you compare and you just sing, sing, sing. Why do you do that? And you do it to yourself. Social media platform people, they're going on an apology tour right now, apologizing because of what their stuff is doing to people's brains and minds and their families. And their, because you measure your likes against somebody else's likes. And you compare. And you go, oh, I guess people don't like me as much as they like them or her. And the scripture says, I'm not going to read it. It says that, hey, I'm just, Paul says, I'm just pleasing one person. And that's God. I'm not here to please a bunch of other people. I'm just my only measuring stick is who God says I am. You just sing a song. Do you believe it or not? I am who he says I am, not what the social media world says I am. Now, I don't have time to read this, so I'm just going to give you really quickly, as quickly as I can, the overcoming depression part that I see in this next text. What happens is here's how he overcomes depression. The first one is letter A, physical self-care. You've got to learn to take care of your physical body. Take care of your body. And that's what he does. Right after he, had, he said, I'm going to die, he lays down and he takes a nap. Then he gets up and he eats. Then he lays down and he takes another nap. Here's my message to some of you. 
You need to go home, go outside first of all, enjoy a little outside, get your hands dirty in the dirt, walk away from the television, eat, turn on the golf game, go to sleep. <laughs> Wake up, eat some more food, take another nap. Some of you are pushing, 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 pushing so hard, your mind, you're just tired. You're tired. Stop the fast food, go have a two-hour dinner, no phones, no television, and just talk, and then go take a nap. <laughs> Better yet, go to bed with no cell phones. I hear... Married people complaining about their kids getting into bed with them. I'm going, your cell phone is in the bed with you. Pour out my heart to God, let her be. He said, God, I can't take it anymore. I can't, I can't. God can handle. God can handle your mess. God can handle your lies. God can handle your dysfunction. Pour it out to him. Let him know. Here's what's going on, God. Jesus said, bring all your stuff to me. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Come to me. Let me know what's going on with you, and you will find what? Rest. What's the very end word of that? Rest in your what? Soul. Your psyche. Unbelievable how powerful God's word is. And then it goes on. Last thing is to ask God for a new purpose and direction. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul does over in 2 Corinthians. You'll read that this week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He felt, God, I want to die. I just feel like I want to quit. I want to check out. And God gives him a new assignment, and all of a sudden he feels alive again. Can I tell you something? There's nothing that will take you out of your depression quicker than God saying, I need you to go do this for me. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, I'm going to keep you to stop focusing on you and stop focusing on somebody else. And when you start focusing on somebody else, because you're so self-conscious, this selfie generation, selfie, self-conscious, you're killing yourself. Here's how we're going to end. We're going to sing a little bit of that song we sang a while ago that you were just pouring out your heart to God. It's your spirit, 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 my spirit, God's spirit, touch my spirit, God, lift this yoke, lift this burden, break this stronghold, God, cry out to you, God. That's what we're going to do. Everybody stand, everybody stand, everybody stand. I want you to sing it. I want you to get lost in it. I want your spirit to worship his spirit, see what God does. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. every voice sing it out it's your breath it's your breath and our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath and our lungs so we 
source of life. You are the creator. You know our thoughts. You know our feelings. You know our fears. Help us, God, to think more about you than we think about ourselves. That you would consume our brain. That you would show us how to take care of our bodies. To get the rest, the nourishment, so we have the strength to endure and to be the people, our family and our friends need us to be. In Jesus' name. 